Hello, everybody. I'm John Burns with New Heights 360, and I have an awesome guest on today, Alex Clark, the CEO of CASA. And he's going to share a little bit about what CASA is about and what's going on in the current vaping environment. So with that, Alex, I will turn it over to you. Uh, I've known you for several years now, and uh, we've not been in the same city, but have worked together on several different causes at different times trying to protect this industry, though I know that CASA is about more than just vaping. And uh, I just wanted to be clear on that, that it's not just vaping. Uh, that's one part of what CASA does. Uh, but I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Alex. Sure. So, um, yeah, it, generally we are the organized voice of the consumer in all of this. Uh, we're a 501c4 nonprofit grassroots consumer organization. Um, most of what we do is providing information to consumers uh, about the products and uh, you know, truthful information in the absence of uh, manufacturers or retailers being allowed to talk about how helpful these products can be, uh, how, much, how much safer they are than, than smoking. Um, and also, of course, providing opportunities for people to engage with lawmakers on any one of a number of issues related to tobacco harm reduction. And as you said, you know, we're not, we're not just a vaping advocacy organization. We support access to sort of the whole category, the range of tobacco harm reduction products, which includes things like smokeless tobacco, Swedish snooze, uh, you know, even the, there, there's some actually new nicotine products out there, uh, the nicotine pouches, um, for those who don't know, I don't do product endorsements, but to give you <laughs> so new, um, if you've ever heard of Zyn, Z-Y-N, or On with an exclamation point, uh, you know, these are the, the they, they kind of look and feel a bit like snooze. They're a little bit, they're more, they're thinner, but it's just nicotine and like vegetable aggregate with flavorings. It's, uh, doesn't sound all that exciting, but they're, they actually work and you know, they're, they're good products to have out there for people that aren't having success with gum and patch and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, you know, broadly we are ultimately a harm reduction organization, uh, promoting the consumer voice and all of this and making sure that, that, that consumers are heard. So I, uh, I'm very good friends with Julie Wasner and we've, we've had some, some great conversations and uh, from what I've heard, she's moved back to St. Louis though. I haven't talked to her or she's moving back to St. Louis. At least that's the rumor I've heard. Not sure if it's true or not, but we'll, we'll wait and see. But uh, regardless uh, I've always respected that about Casa in the sense that you guys really hold true to not getting wrapped up with any organizations or companies that sell these products. And you, you really stand in the light of representing the consumers themselves. Unfortunately, with what's happened the last three or four years, you guys have really been under the light with lots of vaping related stuff because that, that's been really under attack uh, since the Obama administration. Yeah, the, you know, Casa started as a response to FDA seizing shipments coming in from abroad back in 2009. So it really was started by a group of people who vape, who were really you know, deathly concerned that they were going to lose access to these products. And as 
time went on, you know, I, I don't think anybody in this space was really an echo, or at least not, not a lot of the, you know, the early adopters of the product were necessarily experts about tobacco harm reduction or harm reduction generally. So a lot of this knowledge was built over, over years. And uh, as, as I understand it, it was before my time. I didn't, I didn't switch to vaping until 2013. But um, if I remember correctly, Carl Phillips joined the board in 2011. And for, the, for those who don't know, Carl Phillips is uh, a pretty well-known, outspoken epidemiologist who's been studying tobacco harm reduction for many years. Uh, and most of his work focuses on Swedish snus and, and other smokeless tobacco products. So bringing his knowledge and experience into the organization uh, broadened Kassaw's understanding of tobacco harm reduction. Um, but the laws regulating smokeless tobacco are pretty well established in the United States. So there's not much fighting back on, you know, trying to restrict access to smokeless tobacco products. Of course, until recently, when we start talking about flavor bans and taxes and all of this stuff, those affect people who use smokeless tobacco as well. Um, San Francisco, of course, is a great example of this. They've you know, banned access to any flavored tobacco or, or nicotine product. And uh, Well, you can still get cigarettes, correct? Oh, yeah. You can still buy cigarettes. You okay. can still buy cigars. I, I, I just want to make sure we could still get cigarettes there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's San Francisco's stab at the Marlboro Protection Act. Um, and, of course, the, you know, the, the current legislation that uh, is, is sort of pending uh, – uh, depending the outcome of a ballot initiative, um, the uh, uh, what is his name? I forget his the Dennis Herrera or something. Who's the uh, city attorney yes. in San Francisco? Um, that bill, that law, states that you can't sell a product which would be only a tobacco flavored product in San Francisco unless it's gone through. Uh, the PMTA process through the FDA. Well, Swedish Match, which makes, which they make a range of snooze products, regular, you know, unflavored tobacco flavor to mint, wintergreen, menthol, not menthol, but a couple of different mints and a couple of different wintergreens. Uh, those mints and wintergreens, even though they have actually gone all the way through the PMTA process, would not be allowed to be sold in San Francisco because of the flavor ban. Uh, these are products that the FDA, that have met that standard with FDA, uh, that marketing these smokeless tobacco products are appropriate for the protection of public health. Same with ICOS. ICOS has a mint variant, uh, and that would not be allowed to be sold in San Francisco, even though it's gone all the way through the PMTA process. So we're, we're seeing now that the, the anti-tobacco folks are getting more zealous in, in, in trying to outlaw all tobacco products that they're sort of, they're even going against the, the federal regulations that they worked so hard to get back in the 90s and early 2000s, um, which is, uh, you know, sort of an obvious hypocrisy there. Well, I just think it's interesting because vaping, in my opinion, has been really bad for business on, on many levels, the state level, the federal level, uh, big pharma's taken a huge hit from it. And I know special uh, interest groups, American Heart, American Long, groups like that have been 
at least in St. Louis, they've been largely behind most of the initiatives here to mm-hmm. essentially get vaping banned, which I'm sure they're meeting with the uh, county executive as we speak because they have that type of relationship where they always have access to him and to the county council members where the business owners here of St. Louis actually don't have that access, don't get phones, phone calls returned and are not entitled to the same meetings that these organizations are. And which leads me to believe because we had T21 fly through St. Louis here, I guess about three years ago, but I really think that was because the health commissioner for St. Louis County received money for his programs is why he was so adamant to push us through and some grants because they're very good at hiding how that money gets back to them as far as the cities and the counties go. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's been really uh, interesting. And then we had a fatality yesterday with a man here that they're finding was from THC, but they're not really framing it as that they're framing it as vaping. And then they're putting a caveat of flavors are behind all of this, which I'm not sure how that, that, how does that line up? I mean, I, I just can't connect that. And I'm thinking to myself, are people in the, this country that uneducated where they're connecting these dots that I can't seem to connect? Well, there's a lot going on there. I, you know, I read the report uh, or the, I, I can't remember what, I think I read a statement from the Department of Health uh, and there's also an article that quotes uh, someone from the, the uh, Missouri Department of Health. And the, the, the statement was something along the lines of, this is a person who started vaping or using e-cigarettes, uh, seeking pain relief. This is someone who had been, who was in chronic pain. Um, this is certainly not a motivation for anyone to use nicotine. Uh, I have actually never experienced any pain relief. <laughs> qualities of using nicotine. I've never experienced any relief from nicotine and I'm, I'm 50 years old and I have lots of aches and pains. <laughs> yeah, so uh, clearly they are talking about a different chemical. Um, and, but you're right, it, it's, uh, this is something that the CDC has been doing and sort of continues to do. They, they added a little bullet point to their advisory recently, I think yesterday, um, trying to communicate to people that they should not go back to smoking. Um, of course, they didn't offer any other useful resources. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if there was any mention of like alternative nicotine products. Um, I, I think maybe at the very bottom of the re- release, there's some sort of you know direction to use FDA approved cessation device or cessation products. Um, but it's certainly not, it, it's, the CDC is not very good at acknowledging harm reduction not just for nicotine and tobacco, but generally speaking. Oh yeah. They're a horror, they're a horrible organization in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, which is unfortunate that anyone has that opinion because the CDC really is on the front lines of things like communicable diseases and outbreaks. And whenever we have foodborne illnesses, everybody looks to the CDC to figure out what's going on. They are a very important organization. It's just, there seems to be this uh, you know, ideology that has crept in there and, and does not acknowledge harm reduction. Um, so, it, you know, 
the big issue here is that I think a lot of these activist groups have spent a lot of time and a lot of money whipping up fear about vapor products, about tobacco. And when something like this happens where we have people getting sick and dying, uh, they can capitalize on this and very easily slide in this conflation between these products and people generally. I mean, we're not talking about people being idiots or anything like that. It's just people generally are not inclined to dig into a news story unless they're invested in it. So they're only really reading the headlines. And I, I can tell you, even among you know CASA members, people who have affirmatively signed up to get emails from us I assume know what this organization is all about. When I sent out an advisory to our members a couple of weeks ago saying, don't go back to smoking. If you're, if you've lost confidence in the vapor industry, don't go back to smoking, try other smoke free alternatives first. That's because that's what we do. We, we talk about all the alternatives here. Sure. Uh, I got a, well over a dozen emails fired back at me that were, you know, Everything from calling me a big tobacco shill to spreading misinformation, <laughs> all of the, the accusations you can think of. And I had to tell people, you know, please read the rest of the advisory, not just the headline about vaping lung syndrome. This so, is so, so you think with a, the private jet and the company car and the, uh, I can see you're in a, a, a penthouse there in New Jersey. And uh, with all that, uh, they, they, no. The fact of the matter is, I know for a fact how hard you guys work, and it certainly isn't because of the pay. And Yeah, uh, I, I, my, my salary is a matter of public record. I can tell you I don't make as much as, as other people in my position. Um, and, you know, I gave up a pretty solid job to come and do this. So, uh, it's, you know, everybody working at CASA is making sacrifices in order to get done what we need to get done, and they are working overtime right now. I, you know, I have one other paid employee that I can rely on to get things done. That's Kristen Noel Marsh. And she's been doing I, just nonstop. I, I, she's responsible for a lot of our social media presence, all of the posts. She does the daily heads up alerts um, and, and helped me out a lot with our advocacy platform this past week. Uh, we had to manually approve everybody's email. Oh my gosh. That was, I, I think all said and done, it was about 17,000 emails that went through in like the wow. first, and, and most of that was collected in the first couple of days. Um, so we, we had some help with the people who actually run the platform, uh, but because of the way that I set it up, I, I screwed up, <laughs> I made a mistake. Hey, but I, I gotta, I, 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 I I, I got to tell you, though, that the uh, the way that you guys make it that we can contact our representatives is so easy and so slick. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that when you guys send that out, because yeah. it, it, it literally takes less than two minutes. And I've, I've been getting responses from my representatives, not from them. Of course, it's their staff or automated or whatever, you know, basically go kick a can down the road is what it says. But at least I know we've been flooding their emails. Yeah. And this was this particular engagement, which is still up and, and is going to stay up for a while, um, is, uh, you know, this is the, the release of everyone's messages was 
timed to coincide with uh, the Vapor Technology Association's Hill Day. Uh, the conference was, that's where I was, I just got back yesterday afternoon. Um, there was the two-day conference and then the, the lobby day on Capitol Hill. Uh, and so, you know, while business owners are walking around meeting with their representatives, it was really important to make sure that consumer voices were also landing in inboxes. Um, there's no uh, specific piece of legislation that we're asking people to oppose. There, there's a raft of bills. I mean, it's, it's over a dozen bills now. Uh, we just had uh, Senator Romney and... Oh, yeah. Um, was it Merkley? That was two days ago, wasn't it, that they, they, they put their bill yeah. through to basically just blanket, annihilate, and eliminate vaping across the country? I'll have to. Um, well, no. Um, let me see. Let me look it up here. They are proposing to, uh, oh, it's called the END Act, and there's an article on CNBC about it. Uh, yeah, Romney Merkley. Um, which is kind of interesting because somebody met, no, nope, it wasn't Merkley. It was a, a different M guy, uh, Markey. Uh, somebody had a meeting with, with Markey's office and, their, and it, the staffer there was actually, this is a staffer who requested to be in this meeting because they were very, very interested in this topic and uh, sounded very excited actually about uh, the information that, that, that was discussed. And uh, if I re recall, correctly the staffer actually kind of walked out the door with the with the people that they were meeting with sort of followed them out and kept talking <laughs> very excited about it um so that's it's always you know some of the young a lot of these staffers are in their you know their 20s they're this is you know part of them building their resumes getting exposure to working in government and um you know it's actually it's the younger people who are going to be receptive to the new technology they are they're coming up in a world where harm reduction on other issues is actually something that they they're learning about, right. you know, even in high school. Um, so they're more receptive to these, uh, to, receptive to the strategies and receptive to the ideas about policies that will, uh, you know, foster these types of strategies and, and, and make people, well, help people make better decisions. Um, so yeah, the, the recent bill from Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney and Jeff Merkley is called uh, "Ending the Ending New Nicotine Dependencies" or "End Act," um, and I, I it, it's the, the the article has some uh, scant details about what the the legislation will do, and it's not posted on the Congress.gov yet. I haven't seen the language, um, but this is one of I have. 17 bills in a spreadsheet that were all introduced this session. Everything from, uh, you know, taxing, taxing vapor products at the same rate as, as cigarettes. Actually, it would be tax parity across the board. So what we have for cigarette tax, which would probably be raised as well, would apply to smokeless tobacco vapor products and anything, anything that would fall under the definition of a tobacco product. Um, and a, and a lot of people would argue that that in large part could solve a lot of this targeting of vaping because money is at the basis of much of this. Rolling over on taxes? Mm -hmm. Because um, there's just so much of a deficit now with the rapidly declining 
smoking rates that cities and, and states that are dependent on that master settlement are hurting right now because that money's not streaming in like it used to. Well, there's, there's a couple of the real reasons why they're hurting right now is because they, uh, some of these states, New Jersey, I, I think, I don't know if New York was another one of them. Yes, uh, in California. There's, there's a handful of states that took that money and, you know, invested in the stock market. There's the tobacco bonds. They wanted cash up front. Right. And so they, that's, that's the option that they took. And that's, you know, that's on the legislature. They made that decision to gamble the money. Uh, and these are also states that are not spending the money on what it was intended for. This, the master settlement agreement money was intended to offset the cost, the burden to society of, of people getting sick later in life from smoking cigarettes and also intended to fund youth prevention programs. And I, I hate quoting any of these anti-groups, but Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids actually releases a report, I think annually, about how that money is being spent and whether or not states are meeting CDC recommended targets for minimum amounts of money spending spent on youth prevention programs. And none of the states are actually meeting those targets. So, First of all, the money's not being spent where it's supposed to be. Second of all, all of the policies that these groups have been advocating for are for one purpose, to reduce the amount of cigarettes that are purchased and the number of people who smoke. So it's, it's built into any kind of understanding of, of tobacco tax revenue funding. It's a dwindling revenue source. Sure. So for states to come back and say like, oh, we're losing money to vaping. Well, you're not, it, you're supposed to be losing this to begin with. <laughs> idea. If you didn't factor that into your budget, then you know that's not that's not my fault as someone who vapes or someone who used to smoke. That's your fault. If we're going to talk about taxing these products, first of all, it's not going to buy. It, there is it, the tobacco companies are really good at pushing this point, by the way. So. Uh, tobacco 21 is an excellent example. The tobacco companies believe that if we accept tobacco 21, then legislatures and the federal government will give us a break on flavors. Well, I can tell you how that's working out right now. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's not made a damn bit of difference as far as the flavors go. Right. Uh, so, you know, the the idea that we're going to be able to horse trade taxation or raising the minimum, minimum legal sales age or, uh, accepting place bans and all of this, and that somehow that's going to preserve the marketplace for consumers is really just, I, I don't think that's really well thought out. However, and, and this is not something that really makes it into Casas advocacy materials, but we've certainly had this conversation. If, if the industry is going to be taxed, and as a consumer, I'm the one that ultimately pays that, if we're, if we're all, if we're going to be paying extra taxes on these things, we should get something in return. Those, that tax dollars should go into things like enforcement, making sure that, that retailers are compliant with minimum legal sales age. If there are going to be regulations in place that, that manufacturers are paying licensing fees for, then, then retailers and manufacturers should get something out of that. They should get clear product or manufacturing standards that they can, they can abide by and reassure customers that they're making good quality products. 
But so far, the industry isn't getting any of this stuff in return. We're all just paying more in, in, if you live in a state. I, in, I live in New York now. Oh, so wow. uh, if there is any industry left in November, I think, uh, that I'm paying 20% on, it's a 20% sales tax on any e-liquid that I buy. Of course, there's probably not going to be any, any e-liquid on the shelves that I want to buy. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be taking road trips. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, look, I'm 20 minutes from Canada. Um, so it'll actually be cheaper for me to buy vapor products in Canada. Um, I can, I can hop over to Vermont if I want to pay a 92% wholesale tax. Um, but, and I can shop online, obviously. So, um, well, yeah, that's, it, an, that's unless, uh, Trump drops, drops, uh, the gauntlet here in the next couple of weeks on all that. But as far as, uh, you know, you brought up some really good points as far as the, the master settlement goes, you know, a lot of these cities in that, like you said, not only took that money up front, but they built new city halls, bought new police cars, bought computers, you know, just put the money everywhere, but where it was supposed to go, almost with the idea that this gravy train is never going to end. Because as long as we're selling cigarettes, we're making money. Yeah, there's a history of tobacco taxes uh, going to fund things like uh, war efforts or something, you know, sure. lawmakers believe that this is this is just sort of an evergreen kind of source of revenue because for you know centuries people have understood the that that uh, using tobacco is is habitual and it's dependence forming and and that people just aren't going to give it up. So yeah. So what's your thoughts on uh, as far as like flavorings, because like I said earlier, they always tie the flavorings, the cause of this is getting all the children addicted. But I would say probably 90% of the people that I've encountered that are getting off of cigarettes want anything but a tobacco flavor. I, I agree with that. I actually have um, Doug Carter, one of our, our board members, uh, he DIYs and he sent me a, kind of a, a flight of tobacco flavors that he makes and they're all flavored. They're not, they're not just exclusively tobacco. And the first one that I tried is a, is a fig flavored tobacco. It's, it's delicious, but it's still got that tobacco flavor and it does actually for me kind of trigger that, that, that craving for an actual cigarette. Um, so even the flavored tobacco liquids I've found uh, still still trigger the craving. And um, you know, right now I'm, I've got a, uh, a, a coconut rum and a banana cream pie. Uh, I'm I'm also using a, a cola flavored snooze. So I, I yeah, I'm 43 years old. I still love sweet flavors. I can't eat candy all day. I'm, I'm sort of off the sugar. Um, I'm, I'm on the like low carb, no sugar diet. Sure. Sure. I'm on the keto. Um, but you know, I, I found sweet replacements for, you know, some of the baked goods that I'm not going to eat anymore. Um, you know, it, it it's, yeah, it, it really, it, the, the flavor variety and one of the things that I've explained, and, and I'm, if people have heard me talk, then by now I'm probably sounding like a broken record, but it's, it's not just the flavors themselves, it's, it's the variety. 
And right. the best way I can describe this is the, the difference between me as someone smoking cigarettes versus me now walking into a vape shop. When I purchase cigarettes at a convenience store, I'm, it's like I'm on autopilot. There's no, there's no conversation with the C store clerk saying, you know, can you tell me the difference between a pack of cools and a pack of Salem's? What's, What's your opinion about the flavor there? Which mintier? Which has a little more yeah. but better of an after mint when you when you exhale? You know, no, yeah. I, I get I get what you're saying because I was a Marlboro Lights guy, yeah. so and I always played this mental game with myself. Uh, I refused to buy cartons, even mm. though everybody said it's cheaper to buy cartons. But I did three packs at a time at QT, did the three pack special because I was always going to quit tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Well, after nine years of saying that, that just goes to show how ridiculous that whole thought process was. Yeah. You know, and I honestly wanted to quit. And I will tell you that I guess it's been almost six years when I, I finally switched 100% to vaping and totally got off cigarettes. I went through some major withdrawals for about three days, even with vaping. And I'm talking uh, didn't feel well. And I had major cold sweats for two or three nights all night, like almost like I had the flu getting that stuff out of my system. And I thought, man, I don't know what they're putting in cigarettes now, but I didn't go through this the last time I quit. And I'm just saying though, that I can understand how people that are getting off cigarettes and have tried everything like you and I have. I mean, you know, I, I signed up for a gym membership and I would go run two or three miles and I would lift weights and then I would get to my car and I would, wipe the sweat off with my towel, and then I would light a cigarette up and smoke all the way home. Mm -hmm. I used to do that every day. I mean, how ridiculous was that? But you can understand when you've struggled with it so much, the last thing I would want is to go taste something that tastes like a cigarette. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the rest of the, my story about buying either cigarettes or, or e-liquid is – you know, when I walk into a convenience store, my only, the only question running through my mind is, am I buying one pack or two? <laughs> but when I walk into a vapor shop, now I'm presented with a room full of choices. And I actually have to make a conscious decision about the flavor or the, or, or the you know, bottle, nicotine strength, what size is the bottle going to be? Am I buying a device? All of these things. So I have, I have to be more conscious about my decision which is something that I never really had with cigarettes. And that's, that's another aspect of this that really helps people, I think, dis disassociate themselves with that sort of habitual buying and habitual use of, of combustible tobacco. So again, it's not just the fact that the flavors are delicious, it's that there's a lot of them to choose from, which is very helpful. Yeah, I just wanted to make kind of a point on that because that's always the first thing that comes out on these news stories is flavors and children yeah and, and and it's also that that somehow these flavors were designed by tobacco companies to hook children but you know this a lot of people who've been around for years know this that that that's absolutely not the case and i think you know i've tried to search through ecf uh, electronic cigarette form for those who don't know um to find uh, you know, early posts about DIYing and mixing recipes and so on. And I think the earliest I found were probably 2009. And it was people just sharing information about certain types of flavorings to use. Here's some recipes. Here's tips and tricks for mixing. 
these were people who were not satisfied with the flavors that were available from China or wherever and wanted to make their own and share them with friends. So, you know, Reynolds and Altria in their labs, wherever they are, they're not, they didn't back in 2007 or 2008. They didn't come up with these flavors to target kids. They didn't come up with the flavors at all. These, what we see on the shelves in vape shops were actually created by consumers. And, and that grew into the small, independent, open vapor side of things. Um, and Well, that's, yeah. that, that's, that, that's been the other uh, misnomer that's been spit out all the time on these media stations as well is big tobaccos behind all this. But vaping actually was formed and grew exactly how you said. It was mm -hmm. people like me that got off cigarettes because of vaping. And it, it, it was kind of multifaceted in the sense that, wow, this has actually worked. And I know like 10 people that this, this could possibly work to get them off of cigarettes. And mm -hmm. that's how many, many of the, the basis for why people even started shops. It, it wasn't a basis of, oh, I'm going to go make a bunch of money at this. I'm not saying people haven't or that wasn't their basis but more people that you talk to than not that have been in this for quite a while or even since the beginning did it out of a a, a need of wanting to help those around them because mm -hmm. smokers know how real that struggle is yeah it's and the other aspect of this is that you know it's verifiable that the tobacco companies sort of passed on this technology they they knew this was right around the corner probably, but as far as developing it and bringing something that would have been successful to market, the, the tobacco companies didn't feel like these products were gonna do very well. And so they, the, the development was slow, it, you know, if at all. Uh, there's a PBS documentary from 2001 that actually features Mitch Zeller, one of yep. the earliest recorded quotes of him saying, if you could switch people to smoke-free products it would be a, a massive uh, benefit for public health um, and, and in that documentary they go into a, a R&D lab I think at Reynolds and the researcher is showing that the heat not burn early um, actually it might have been Altria early versions of a heat not burn product and also going into the way that vegetable glycerin reacts to heat and produces the vapor and how that can be a carrier for nicotine so they, they knew all this stuff was, was out there and they, they could have developed these products. They just didn't have confidence in them. And so they, they ended up being behind, behind the, the, the curve when, when all of this stuff started becoming popular. Oh, they, they, they totally missed the boat. But yeah. that being said, I will say as far as the players in the game now that have the money, the resources, and the context and foundation, unfortunately – uh, big tobacco has a bigger shot at, at pushing us through for the longevity for the long game of this than individual shop owners uh, who have been burdened with enormous regulation and requirements. And at the same time, no clarity, there's been no clarity and the clarity is always changing at a moment's notice, which really isn't fair when you think about, well, let's just take your position there. If someone said, Alex, you need to enter in 6,500 product variations 
at your earliest convenience. You got two weeks, okay? So in addition to everything you're doing now, you got to formulate SKUs, names, and then you got to try to use the FDA's archaic system of entering product data, which as you know, three years ago, two and a half years ago when everybody was doing this, their system was constantly crashing for days. And it was crashing on people, you know, that were several hours into it and they lost all their data. Mm -hmm. And then many of us who got all the data finally in there, when it comes back out the other end, it's all scrambled up like eggs. Yeah. And then the FDA says, that's not our problem. You got to go in and manually change these 6,500 variations. So you get in, you start changing these variations. And then two months in, they say, eh, don't worry about it. it literally, it's been like that every step of the process. And even with the, uh, the testing and so forth, they have not even released anything that gives any guidelines on how we're even supposed to go about this. They just said, it's got to be done by this date. But we're not going to really tell you much. Well, there, there is, um, there, there's a document that is, there's a docket that's going to be open for public comment, I believe, on September 25th. Uh, the FDA is releasing some final PMTA guidance. Um, I forget the full title, but that was that just came out today. Uh, you know, it's again as as usual. This is something that's coming out kind of late. Uh, you know, there are companies that are going through PMTA. They're having meetings. They're having back and forth with FDA about their applications. Uh, I think there are people at FDA who genuinely. Um, well, I, I maybe I'll rephrase this. There are people at FDA who know they have to get something across the finish line. The PMTA process has to work for somebody. Uh, that's why, that's one of the reasons why the Swedish, new, Swedish match products went through PMTA and not substantial equivalency. The FDA has to demonstrate that someone can get through this process. Uh, ICOS got through the process after like $2 billion, but still, we have a new tobacco, we have two, well, more, it's more than two new tobacco products on the market now that have been through PMTA. Uh, but it's different, you know, vapor is a completely different thing. So, and, and we haven't seen anything in terms of, it's not a traditional tobacco product. So you're dealing with different, uh, different testing that needs to happen. Well, it's probably relatively the same, but you're, you're dealing with different chemicals and different, uh, testing protocols for inhalation and what you know what is a bystander exposed to when when the vapor is exhaled all of these are different questions that the FDA has never had to grapple with so it's a it's a learning process that the FDA is going through with the manufacturers but what's making it so difficult is this changing deadline it was it was 2018 and then it was 2022 and then it was 2021 and now it's May of 2020 and so if you're in the industry, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Uh, unless you're already in the process of, of working towards submitting your PMTA, if, if, if someone's just starting now, there's, I, I don't think it is physically possible for them to meet the 2020 deadline. Uh, well, there's, there, there, there's, there's a lot of money involved too, because I, I did the rough calculations on our 100 in 15 flavors with all its variations, I think it comes up to about $680 million. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, we do okay at this place, but we don't do anywhere in the ballpark. And that's going to be the case with 99% of the shops out there and manufacturers. Yeah. And the other part of this too, with the PMTA, just because you spend all this money and go through all this, there's no guarantee you're going right. to, you're going to, you're going to get your PMTA. That, right. that, that's the other part of it. So even if you, let's say had $2 billion to put into this and, and you did everything exactly how the FDA wanted it and right, there's still no guarantee because I've heard that the percentage of PMTAs actually getting across the percentage line is extremely low on any product, not just tobacco, but big pharma, all, all kinds of different products. They just don't allow very many products to, to, to make it. Yeah, the advantages that a big company has, like Altria, is that they can they can fall back on the income they're making off of selling cigarettes. They sell other products. They sell grandfathered tobacco products, so they can, you know, they can they can pay for their application by selling cigarettes. Right. But a vapor company, they sell vapor products. They sell e-liquid. There's not necessarily. You know, I mean, depending on how diversified your company is, maybe you also sell, uh, you know, hair care products. I don't know, but it's <laughs> beard <you know>. oil. <laughs> yeah, we'll send, it, we'll send or, you some. We'll send you some beard oil, Alex. <laughs> or, yeah, thank you. Uh, or maybe maybe you sell CBD, and for now, that's a legal product that you can you can continue to sell, um, and and continue. You know, you can pay for your 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 e-liquid PMTA by selling CBD. I don't know. But a lot of companies are not set up that way. They just sell e-liquid. And Alex, you, we, we couldn't even afford one flavor, one bottle size, one nicotine level. We, yeah. we, we wouldn't even be in the small ballpark of even to get, get through that process. And I can assure you, I'm pretty connected in the industry. And that's going to be the case for pretty much everybody, except somebody possibly like Jewel, who's a billion-dollar company and has the backing of Altria, and has all of all Tria's connections as far as these processes go. So they don't, they, they definitely have a learning advantage by having them as a partner in this from the sense that Altria already knows how this game is played. Not to mention that um, uh, the Jewel or other pod or pre-filled cartridge products are essentially what the FDA described in the final deeming rule as a product that would most likely get market approval. Right. Yeah. So did you have anything else you wanted to add? This is, this has been a great, great conversation, very informative. And, you know, I, I really appreciate you carving some time out today. I know it was last minute, but I felt this issue is really important and there's a lot going on and there's a tremendous amount of misinformation. And I, I feel it's your responsibility and my responsibility to get as much accurate information out there for consumers as possible. Yeah, well, we still have, uh, you know, our federal call to action is still active. It's gonna remain active and everybody can find that by going to august8th.org. Uh, you're not gonna be able to share that URL on Facebook because it's been flagged as inappropriate. Oh. But uh, you can share the campaign itself, you just can't share that URL. It's, it really exists just so I can easily talk about it and, and point people there, august8th.org. Um, and uh, that's sending messages to the president, your senators, and your representative 
urging them to oppose this, this a slew of legislation that's out there. Um, and as we go forward, I'm, we're working on updating everybody on what's happening in various states, um, you know, Michigan, New York, New Jersey. Um, Ohio. I heard Ohio, Illinois. There, Illinois. So uh, I'm, I'm working to get caught up with all of that so everybody knows what's going on. And uh, so if you live in those states, look out for it. it it's, we've, we've gone from this huge national uh, news explosion about President Trump doing HHS flavor ban stuff to now all of the states are jumping on the bandwagon and trying to grab some headlines and um, and implementing really really harmful regulations in the process. Yeah, I think it's a, it's 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 a national health emergency in my opinion because yeah. you know I look at the number of shops that have loyal people that depend on coming into those shops to stay off of cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And literally in two or three weeks, our doors could be shut. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. So, well, I will put those links. I will put the uh, link for Kasa.org in this as well as, would you share that link again for the legislation? Well, it's august8th.org, but if August you're posting that on Facebook, Facebook won't let you. So uh, um, I'll get you the, I'll, I'll email you the link. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind email me the alternative that, that they haven't found yet. Yeah. Um, because for whatever reason, anything vaping related, that's why you noticed uh, there's nothing vaping in the background. Right. Uh, there's no not going to be any vaping mention in the subject matter or the description uh, because they will not let me push this forward if I do. It's just It's just what they do. Yeah, yeah. So, well, we appreciate everything you do up there, Alex. I've, I've followed you closely and I've appreciated all the hard work and extra time that you put into to trying to prevent, you know, and, and promote harm reduction. So, yeah. very, very much appreciate it and uh, honored that you came on the show today and, and, and shared with us. Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for having me on. All right, man. Well, you have yourself a great weekend and uh, I'll be in touch. All right, thanks. All right, see ya. See ya.